Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of M365 Voice. My name is Mike Marani. I'm Sarah Hazi. And I'm Antonio Mayo. And we are here today to pull another question from Sarah's famous jar. That's right. Are you ready? Ready. ready. Okay, here we go. What are some of the largest barriers to enterprise organizations using teams with external users? And what kind of strategies can be put in place to overcome those barriers? So barriers to enterprise orgs using teams with external users. Mike, what do you think? So I think the question is more not only external users, because in, in teams, a lot of organizations will uh, will mix up between guests and external users because there is a specific features for external users where you can collaborate with outside of the organization so where you have automatic federation between the tenants that is by default turned on or guest access to your teams so we can definitely talk about both of them in details um, and a lot of organizations um, when they go into the cloud let's talk about the external users first when they go into the cloud and um, they are not using Teams and they want to enable Teams for everyone, they have that fear if I am chatting with someone else outside of my domain, I might be leaking information. Mm -hmm. uh, so they block that off. So there are a few ways that we can address that through uh, through some policies from whatever is security policy that we can apply on, on uh, SharePoint and OneDrive or by controlling what kind of domain you can, you can communicate with. If you really want to specify, if you don't want your employees to, to chat with, with your competitors, you can block those domains. Uh, but definitely, I always recommend to have that open with, uh, with uh, uh, a list of blocked domains if they want to block them or, or approved domains, but just don't block at all. Let let the, the employees uh, have the capability to chat with others because that will eliminate the, the emails of I want to ask a question instead of emailing that other person from the other company I can chat with that person. And I know Antonio that one of the reasons why Microsoft recently released sensitivity labels for teams and SharePoint online sites but we're focused on teams right now was to be able to denote and control for chat and channel conversations where you may not want your most sensitive types of data eligible to be communicated back and forth. That's right. That's right. So so that's I think refers to the other type of external user collaboration in teams that Mike was referring to. So the when you invite a guest into your team or a SharePoint site, you can control that now through sensitivity labels applied to teams sites or ultimately M365 groups. Right. Um, when you apply um, a sensitivity label to those containers, I'll call them, um, there's three different policies you can have enforced optionally, depending on the label. One is external sharing. So if you want to enable external sharing from uh, a team, for example, um, and that's a really handy feature because then, um, you know, on a site by site basis or a team by team basis, I can make it easy for the creator of a site to determine is this going to be shareable with external users or not, right? And I can say, okay, my confidential sites are not, but my you know non-confidential, my public sites are shareable to external users. So it makes that decision easier for people. Yeah, um, to, Mike, to your point around external users, so using that you know 
that um, a federation with other organizations so that they can chat with people. Um, like our company, for example, we only have a, um, a specific list of other domains that we're allowed to chat externally with. So for example, we're federated with Microsoft through that. And I've seen the list in our company. I think there's about 30 domains in there. Um, so that's the typical configuration I see companies go through where they don't block it off completely, but they exactly. also don't open it up completely. It's it's a well-defined list of mm-hmm. here's who you can have chats with outside the company. So I'm yeah. confused. I thought that Mike, you said, and I'm sure that I heard it wrong, which is why I'm going to ask, that you can either allow by domain or exclude by domain, or can you do both? Both. Well, basically, when you add a domain to the, so when you 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 have an exclusion or an inclusion list, you add a domain and you say I want to allow or block as well. Or mm-hmm. uh, once you can say don't do it, don't 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 do external collaboration except for these domains. So you don't have to put an exception to block. You just allow only these domains to be, which in, in Antonio's company's uh, case, that's what they have done. And that's what most companies do is instead of blocking specific domains because it can be cumbersome, you just allow block everything, but allow specific domains, which is the most common way to do it because it's easy. Yes, we can share information externally with people that outside of this domain, outside of Teams, not using Teams, we can do, there's many means for us to share information. But the idea is within Teams, it's much easier if I'm chatting with someone to accidentally or purposely leak that information because it's an easy way to do it. I am in Teams, I'm doing one work, I'm chatting with someone, and then I can leak that information. So that really begs the question of Teams governance and that you have to determine from an organizational perspective, who's going to gatekeep, who's going to be the gatekeepers of that, um, and who's going to be enabled to make the decision on which domains you might include or exclude and what kinds of questions are they going to ask of the business teams who want to add or remove and then um, what rules are going to be set up and who actually executes the change. Um, Do you see companies put together a a really solid teams governance plan or do you find that it's a more shoot from the hip or more um, you know in the moment deciding? No, I've, I've, I've actually recently completed that for one client for a team's governance plan. And this topic was specifically raised when, how do we approve what domains to add into that list? And the process is, it has to be submitted formally through a change request and has to be it has to be evaluated by the team's committee and it has to be approved by the security team as well. So there is a security group, every company has it. So in, in, uh, it's a government client, they call it ITSEC, IT security. They have to, we have to present that case to them and they have to really approve it. Uh, even though it's a matter of just adding a domain and clicking on save, it's a very, very small change. But specifically, we've, we've placed a, um, a process to approve new domains or uh, removing a domain. And it almost sounds like that's an ITIL, like, do you mean a formal ITIL change request? Because I love that idea of having a record in there of not just what was done, who decided it, and the date when that execution change was made. Always a good idea to have an ITIL record of what you're doing. Absolutely. And um, we've we've came up with with a process that now we have teams deployed. Uh, We're going to get a lot of requests for different changes. We're going to evaluate all the changes and we're going to make the changes once a month um, unless it's a really urgent that requires something that needs to be fixed. 
So you go through a specific process, you log the ticket, it gets uh, it gets evaluated, it gets approved on a specific date, every two weeks it gets approved, and then it gets implemented once a month. I've seen similar similar processes in place as well. Usually it's um, the M365 governance committee that assesses it, IT security that also assesses it and approves it, and have a formal change record, as you mentioned, Sarah, uh, is a really good idea. Um, it's interesting, I had one government, government client who, a, a large government, who decided to open that up to everyone, to not have a well-defined list of mm. approved domains. So literally, they're federated with the world. Any person in the world can chat to any person within their organization. But I and, think that just goes to different organizations' governance policies, because you have to know the type of company, the risk profile, Mm-hmm. what kind of market you're in and who you're serving. Yeah, yeah. I was just amazed that they opened it up to everyone. I'm like, really? You want everyone in the world to be able to chat to your internal employees? I'm like, yeah, that's what we had before. It's like, okay. Um, and we went ahead with that. But you're right. It, it's very dependent on the organization. It may make sense for some organizations. Um, the vast majority I see, though, have a well-defined set of domains that are permitted that way. Exactly. And don't put start.sharepoint.com because you're including every single domain. Yeah. <laughs> now, what about the other, the, the one that you raised, Sarah? So so allowing guest access into Teams, right? Because that's that's when, when we talk about um, external users accessing Teams, that's what most people think about, right? Sharing a team with guests outside the organization. Um, what have you guys seen in that? Because my company still has not allowed that. So we cannot externally share from teams or SharePoint to guests. What have you guys seen? Um, it is, uh, I would say 90% of my my cases and my projects uh, allowed to share guests with specific uh, security policies implemented on the Teams or Office 365 groups. Um, what I've always recommended is to have an audit on how often or when was the last time a specific guest account has logged into your tenant. So you're going to have to do some homework or some cleanup work at the end of the day after you allow guests into your tenant. So if you if you have guests allowed, you just don't keep it as blanket into, um, I'm not going to review what's going on. You're going to have to always look at uh, the logins. You're going to have to implement some security settings around it. And you're going to have to go and do some cleanup at the end uh, to see you can put a policy, for example, if if uh, a, a guest account hasn't logged into your tenant in six months, maybe you just it's time to remove that account from your tenant. You just don't want to keep things open because everyone, as you know, we create a team and we invite guests and we collaborate and we forget about it. Yeah. And uh, what happens if you start adding more confidential information and you did not realize that you've added this guest, especially if you have a team that has large number of members, you're probably not going to remember who's everyone there. And even that, if in that, in the, uh, situation with that guest is not very active, you're not going to notice that guest in your team much. Yeah. So always a good idea to go and put that, mm-hmm. uh, run the reports and check when was the last time a, a specific or a guest have logged in and anyone who hasn't logged in in six months, maybe it's time to disable that account. You know, I think it's really interesting. Um, so, uh, you know, when I was listening to some security sessions at the last Microsoft Ignite conference, you know, they spent a lot of time talking about least privileged access, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and I would say, depending on the industry that you're in, um, if you're in a regulated industry like I am, least privileged access is sort of um, the standard way of doing business because you have to be very aware of where all your information is going. But I can remember working for organizations where 10 years ago, 12 years ago, they made a decision to just stop the access issues by making almost everything accessible to all. And I remember that was a huge push. Uh, back in the day. And now I think we've, it's amazing when you look at it in in the course of a decade or a decade and a half, how much we have moved from keep it open to all to being so focused on this least privileged access yeah. policy. Well, I think the, the number of security breaches we've had over the last 10 years have done a lot to raise people's um, uh, attention towards that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like in terms of reviewing access, like what you said, Mike, um, it's not uncommon for companies to have policies where um, external guests or contractor accounts have to be renewed every three months. Right, Every three months, they automatically disable and the requester, the internal person who sponsored those external contractors to have access, they need to renew that request or they need to say, yes, I still need these external contractors to have access, to have access to their accounts. You know, you could do something similar with guest accounts, mm-hmm. right? Every three months, the person that shared has to validate. Yes, they still need access. Mm-hmm. That would be a, a pretty valid policy to put in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and although you can't automate that, you know, in M365, you know, just through configurations, you can use some of the features like um, Azure Access Reviews that are part of PIM mm-hmm. to actually get reports on um, who has access to what and mm-hmm. then then review those on a regular basis. Um, so that's a handy feature to use um, Absolutely. around that to get that kind of visibility. Um, personally, I'd like to see more automation happen around that. So for us to be able to say, you know, guest accounts after three months of inactivity, automatically disable them yes. or automatically um, uh, request that that they be approved again, something like that. I agree, I like that. Um, yeah, because it's not it's, it's not difficult if you think about it from a feature perspective to implement that as an automation. It's really That's really right. an easy implementation for engineering. That already exists in OneDrive, or it's coming shortly. Um, expiration or the or the requirement to renew. So at expiration, we had expiration for um, anonymous guest links for a long time. And then I think you're right, Sarah. I think they introduced recently expiration for um, externally sharing to um, uh, through uh, authentication, where you have to authenticate as part right. of that. Right. So, yeah. That's correct. This is where the listeners sometimes help us out. And it has happened before on these podcast episodes that somebody from the Microsoft product team actually jumps in and answers the question when the three of us aren't sure. So you never know, maybe one of the listeners can tell us and confirm. But I I do believe that that is coming out soon if it's not already here. That's right. It was talked about at Ignite. You're you're jogging my memory. Um, It was talked about at Ignite last, um, not this recent Ignite, but last uh, September or October, yeah, September, Um, it was talked about then, yeah. And one thing I would say also, MFA, I think I briefly talked about it, but I did not uh, explore it more. Um, Make sure that your guests will use your MFA, enforce MFA on guests. Uh, It's always good to know who's logged into your tenant. Uh, So uh, additional security 
on on the guest accounts will definitely help as well. Yeah. Agreed. I have a love hate relationship with MFA yeah. though. Um, MFA. I just want to say MFA is not. Um, it's not a replacement for good account hygiene. Correct. Right. Correct. Organizations use it like a Band-Aid where, OK, we have MFA, we're good. We don't have to do anything else. And that's not true. You still need to clean up guests that no longer need access. You still need to make sure that they expire or their their access is reviewed on a regular basis. So not disagreeing with you, Mike, just making the point that it's not a replacement for all that other good stuff, too. Very true, very true. Absolutely. You cannot replace that. It's just one of the extra measures that you can take to, to secure your tenant, but does not mean that forget about everything else and let let your tenant run itself that's Hygiene right it's important yeah yeah now on the um on the topic of just enabling some form of external access or guest sharing let's let's focus on guests for a second i've had um clients who do not want to turn it on yet because it means they have to turn on um external sharing at the tenant level Right. They first have to hit that master switch that enables it for the tenant and then um, they can have it, you know, default to a certain value for SharePoint sites mm -hmm. or allow people to share out to guests. And they don't want to hit that master switch because they don't know the implications of that. So wondering your thoughts on that, like that nervousness about just enabling it. Like, you know, we'll we'll do lots of conversations with clients where we go through the capabilities, where we assess the risks, where we talk about it, but still some don't want to turn it on. So thoughts around that? Um, I would say take it the baby step with them. Basically, when you when when before you enable it on a tenant, make sure that every SharePoint site is does not have it open to the to the to the wild. Uh, just enforce the restrictions on the SharePoint sites, for example, only share with people in the organization. Uh, enable that on the tenant. So right now it is kind of enabled, but not enabled yet. Uh, so it's a one step forward into it and maybe let them explore with SharePoint and OneDrive with sharing documents or sites externally and see how they feel about it and if they're comfortable. Uh, then take it to the, to the uh, Teams level. Um, because, like you said, just opening or uh, turning on this extension at the tenant level is going to scare them off as well and then make sure that, yeah, they have that comfort level. So baby steps, I think, has worked in the past with me. I would agree. I, I think um, understanding the implications of all of that is important up front before you do go enabling it. That way, when you move into this world of allowing guests to come in and collaborate, You've got a good understanding of the the impacts and the risks that you are taking on before you turn it on. Exactly. Well, that was a really interesting topic, and I'm glad that someone asked us. Uh, thank you again for listening. Uh, we'll be happy to hear your comments and your feedback. And until next time, thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye bye.